Welcome to the Geek Therapy Podcast. This is episode number five. I'm your host, Tosue Cardona. Today, you get to hear two therapists talking about one of the most exciting areas within geek culture, something we call cosplay. With me today to talk about this is Dr. Andrea Letamendi. She's a clinical psychologist and scientist at UCLA. She specializes in treatments for trauma and anxiety-related conditions. And at comic conventions across the country, she gives talks and in-depth perspectives about fictional characters in popular comic books, graphic novels, and sci-fi. Um, Andrea, thank you so much for being here and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I want to touch on uh, conventions. You, you talk about um, psychology and comics at different cons um, across the country then. I do. I, I think this is by far uh, the highlights of my entire academic year is to uh, go to comic conventions and uh, related events and give talks on the psychology of superheroes and villains and basically some psychological themes that are pretty prominent in many of these um, fictional stories uh, that uh, I think <laughs> I think most people think are, are maybe superficial or childish or immature, but I think li those people listening who read comics know that they're incredibly sophisticated stories. They're very deep, sometimes very dark themes, and uh, certainly the psychological aspects and concepts that are very realistic. And so I try to share my knowledge and educate audiences about those realistic aspects and try to bridge yeah, the world, kind of like what you're doing in bridging the world between comics and uh, psychology. I'm trying. Um, so we, we decided that we would talk cosplay today. Before I get into that, do you, did you start going to cons just because you wanted to present information, um, you, because you had something to offer, or have you been a fan for a while? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually, I didn't start going to conventions until I was an adult. But as a, an, as a child, an adolescent, a teenager, gosh, I mean, I read comic books. I wouldn't say privately, but I read comic books uh, for most of my upbringing. And then uh, when I was an adult, I started to attend comic conventions, probably because I was at an age where I could afford them and that I knew about them with the with the ability to communicate with people on you know Twitter and Facebook and all these fantastic avenues, I was able to figure out which conventions would be fun for me. And um, it wasn't until recently in the last couple of years that I've been a pretty consistent presenter uh, with these particular psychological themes. Yeah, I didn't go to my first con until about three years ago. I went to New York Comic Con. Oh, that's one of my favorites. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. It's fantastic. Yeah, I really like New York Comic Con. I, I was... Um, I was there last year, and I, I actually had an, an interesting panel I presented with not just other psychologists who have you know, also some expertise in, in psychological themes and comic books, but you know, we had Denny O'Neill uh, as our featured panelist and a, a retired, I think he was a, a chief firefighter uh, from New York, New York City. I mean, he had gone through so much, and he... Essentially, we were discussing sort of what makes a hero. You know, how, how do we know someone's a hero? We know when we open a comic book what, what characteristics we look for, what writers uh, try to highlight to understand that so someone is a hero. But 
what do we really know as psychologists and as, you know, these um, really brave firefighters and, and first responders? How, how, what makes them heroes? And kind of, again, bridging that, uh, that theme between comic book resiliency and, and psychological strength and real life psychological strength. Yeah, I, when I went two years ago, there wasn't, at least I wasn't aware of any psychology and and geek culture presentations, but now there seem to be a lot more of them. It's very exciting. Yeah, I'm hoping that there'll be a lot more of it because it really does seem like people, I mean, surprisingly, I, I get surprised when these panels are accepted and when we get you know, audiences. It, it sometimes surprises me that people um, are very interested in these topics. And today we had agreed to talk about cosplay. And I know for a fact that you're a cosplayer. Um, could you go into, um, could you explain to us what, what cosplay is and then what a cosplayer is? Those are, those are not simple questions. And to answer your previous question, I think you had asked about like, at what point did I cosplay? And it wasn't until, um, well, that's a, more, that's a more complicated answer as well. Cosplaying, and I'll give a better definition, but I've been wearing costumes of characters I've been a fan of since I was a teenager. But, you know, it wasn't until I was attending comic conventions that I was publicly sort of more, I guess, devoted, dedicated to being a cosplayer. And so that's more, you know, in the last few years I've been uh, heavily involved in that. But um, so I, I think it depends on who you ask and, and what, setting you're in but a cosplayer is um somebody who wears costumes they put on masks and or decoration and uh costume to to represent a character usually a character from some genre some fandom that that they're a part of in some way so as an example you know i think one of the most I guess, stereotypical cosplayers or people that dress up as Wonder Woman or Superman or Batman. Spider-Man. Spider-Man, yeah. That, I feel like that's an easy one because you can, you can readily buy costumes. Um, although some people make costumes. And uh, I think that's a, a simple or the most simplest version of what a cosplayer is. But I know that, you know, from talking to people and, and doing a bit of research myself, that cosplay involves so much more than that in terms of construction of costumes, design of costumes, in terms of um, investment, like monetary investment in costumes. There's a lot that goes into it in addition to simply putting on a costume and walking around a convention. There's a lot of artistry and creativity involved in that. I didn't plan it this way, but I don't know if you saw that this weekend was the International Cosplaying Summit. In Japan, I believe, um, the so people from around the world were competing, and as you said, a costume can be very, very simple. But some of these costumes were so elaborate. You know, some of them are actually coming out in and looking like um, mechanized suits from anime series. You know, I mean, things that they made themselves and things you couldn't possibly buy in a store. Um, it really does range from the simplest to the so, so detailed. Absolutely, absolutely. It could be a matter of you know, just going to a Halloween store and picking up a Wonder Woman costume and making sure it fits and maybe, you know, um, resizing it a bit so it fits you okay. 
um, all the way to what you're describing, spending years and um, a, a lot of effort and money and um, time spent constructing really elaborate, really true to the character, true to either a, a film version or a TV series version or a comic book version of a character, uh, creating a character that maybe in animation or on comic book form works, but in real life can be extremely complicated and require technical or electrical types of uh, adaptations. So yeah, it, it's, it runs the gamut from being a simple sort of um, uh, attire to a more complicated, almost, um, you know, I guess prop type of, um, type of wear. And uh, I think, uh, I think uh, contests are fantastic because it is a way to highlight all of this hard work and to give appreciation to people that really deserve that kind of attention. Yeah. Um, speaking of technical costumes that, that don't really, you know, how do you translate that into the real world? One of my favorite ones I remember seeing was an 8-bit Samus from the Metroid video games. And it really only worked if you saw it from one side and mm -hmm. she would look like the character in the video game. Um, but it was fantastic. I thought it was great because if you saw a picture of it, it looked like a, a a character from the video game walking around on the show floor. Yeah, I think video game costumes are so impressive because they do go from you know being a, a gosh a, a a version that you see on screen to a real life you know real three dimensional version that has to operate and you know somebody's in there, someone's in there. So there's, you know, I'm in no way at that level. I'm, I'm sort of, um, uh, mask makeup and, you know, superhero costume kind of lady <laughs> where I do spend a lot of time and, and, uh, a lot of effort to construct and, and to design costumes. But, you know, there's, o there's always someone who impresses me every show, every year. And I think it's great. I think it's a really really underappreciated and really fantastic um, form of expression that, you know, again, just, just doesn't seem to get the attention from the world outside of the, you know, those conventions. Yeah, because people don't usually walk around dressed up like that. And, and really conventions, that's, that's the only place to see it. I know that as a, I've, I've never cosplayed myself, but as a fan, I know that that's one of the highlights of going to these shows. You're always looking forward to seeing how people are dressed up and, and what costumes you'll see there. And you see, I mean, I just love seeing, you know, you see little kids, they just light up when they see these superheroes and these different characters walking around. Everybody wants to take a picture with them. It's really exciting for everybody that's there who's not dressing up also. Yeah. The whole atmosphere of the con, I think, I, I think it would be completely different if people didn't dress up. I agree. I, there's there's nothing like encountering a character who you're a fan of, and you know somebody had constructed and and created this costume, and made it really true to life, and you know maybe that person really looks like they really embody that character. They really look like that character. I think that's such an experience for us to, you know, to have. And again, I, I think that people either sort of overlook. Uh, you know, maybe don't understand that aspect of it. it. It really is such a fascinating concept that so many people are dressing up in costumes and wearing them at these convention centers, at, you know, in these, in these uh, international expos and conventions. 
So like I said, I've, I've never done it. Um, you have, and, and I'm sure you've talked to a lot of people who, who, who do it. So what, what is the motivation behind cosplaying and really, and going through all that work and getting that costume together and then going to the con and walking around dressed up as a character? I think it depends on who you talk to. I, I know that like personally, I am not a huge fan. I mean, this is a confession. I'm not a huge fan of the construction phase. I like, <laughs> like the designing of things. And trust me, I get a lot of help from people in my life who are uh, either able to, to sew, to, to design, or who you know are, are fans of these things. But I, I'm not a big fan of, of having to... I guess the labor part of it is where I get a little bit frustrated and sometimes I, I lack the the real excitement. For me, it's about the demonstration or it's about the presentation of the character. So I'm kicking and screaming until I put that thing on and then costume, it's almost like my perspective changes. You know, once I have that mask on and that cape on, I feel incredibly inspired and um, just sort of very psychologically strong. Uh, I feel proud and a bit, you know, prideful to just kind of walk around in this costume and to, to kind of, I mean, essentially you're exhibiting your work. You're, you're showing off, highlighting, you know, not just how, how, how great you may have constructed something, but also how well you embody that character. And that expression, I think, is very special. It, it can mean different things to different people. Um, so maybe for some people who like dressing up as superheroes, they feel a sense of, a, a sense of I don't know, I want to say they feel like a hero. They feel important. They feel quite resilient, again, psychologically strong. And maybe that's, very, that's a special moment for them. They have pictures you know, taken of them. They have children running up to them. And, you know, I've, I've had that happen. I've had children running up to me. I do sort of a female version of Darth Vader. And um, it's so funny, you know, kids really love costumes and, and they'll run up to you and want to take a picture with you. And, you know, they, they know you're not, Darth, especially me, like they know you're not, but they're just so excited to see this character walking around. And, it's it's somewhat um, it's very fulfilling. It's it's very meaningful that kind of experience. And again, I mean, no one's fooling anybody. We, we don't actually think we're this. I think this is one of the I don't know misconceptions. We don't think we're this character. We don't think we're role playing this character. We don't have a moment of disassociation or anything like that. We know who we are. But it's it's sort of an agreed upon contract. You know, we walk out on the convention floor. And people, you know, people don't come up to me and say, oh, you know, Andrea, like, let's grab coffee. They, they're kind of addressing me as my character. And uh, depending on, you know, who I'm dressed up as, they, you know, hopefully appreciate that or take pictures of it. And it's, it's an experience where we've, you know, again, it's this agreed upon idea that, I'm embodying this character and I'm, you know, momentarily just for sake of presentation, just for sake of play, I'm no longer that other person, but everybody knows I am. So 
think it's a very transparent uh, agreement. I, I think, you know, there are other misconceptions maybe we'll talk about them, uh, on this podcast, but the there's you know there are very few people who walk around and actually think they're that that superhero or that villain yeah um you said so many things that that uh, made me think one in particular is is i think the idea of of just expressing your love for the character mm-hmm. you know like i think a lot of people i mean i can say i'm a huge doctor who fan and i just bought my first doctor who t-shirt mm-hmm. and and that's one of those things where i would probably want to wear it at a con because that's where it really, I think that's where I would want to show my, my love for the character, right? I, I, I don't really care to show it anywhere else necessarily. And there I would meet like-minded people who might appreciate not only the character, but, you know, the design and, and, and all of that. Um, I'm, I'm at that level, but I can understand um, taking it one step further and dressing up as the character, just again, showing your love, love for that character. I think that's a great point. I, it's, it could be just a more elaborate uh, maybe a more time-consuming, but just a more elaborate way to be a fan. Um, I don't know that. I don't know that cosplayers have have much more to them regarding fandom than someone like you who wears a T-shirt, you know, to express your fandom. Again, of course, they're spending a, a much of their effort and talents to create a costume, but they're just doing what what you are intending to do, which is to express their fandom. Um, and receive that kind of like nod of recognition, that picture of, you know, approval. That's part of the experience. And and these conventions are really a place to celebrate these characters, right? I mean, what other place do we have to celebrate these things that we love? I don't know, man. I mean, I can't (laughs) put in a Darth Vader costume. I think there's, I I think that, I think that, you know, again, it it wouldn't be, of course, for for most professionals, that's not appropriate, right? We we don't typically do that unless it's Halloween, so we have a um and a, a a holiday that we're allowed to dress up as Darth Vader one day a year. We're allowed to do that in a professional setting or in a typical social setting. Um, and I, I do know of psychologists who have dressed up at uh, psychology conventions as uh, Darth Vader and stormtroopers. That is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I have yet to do. Yeah. Which, uh, which, which psychological convention was that? Um, APA. Oh, that's last year. Comic-Con of psychological convention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. So there is precedence. And, and so for that person, what do you think their motivation was? You know, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they were trying to call attention to, their, to a booth or something like that. Maybe they were just trying to have fun. You know, I think that, uh, you know, bringing it like we can talk about this because we're we're therapists, you know, we enjoy these cons because we're fans. But I think we also enjoy psychology and counseling and therapy and those concepts. Um, I don't know. I'm excited about them. So even when I go to a professional conference, they are fun for me, too. It's a different kind of fun, but it's also exciting. So just like on this podcast, I'm trying to um, fuse these things that I like. I can imagine that they're maybe trying to do the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it's very, we won't know until we ask. uh, I will, I will ask them. (laughs) Is it it a male person or a female person? Um, um, I think, I think they're male. Um, I don't know how many people dressed up, but uh, I'll check it out. Uh, This person that dresses up as Darth Vader 
at these psychological scientific conventions, we don't even know who that is. Yeah. That's really fascinating. I mean, I think that that leads into, you know, this this uh, idea of anonymity and potentially of disinhibition, right? The ability to put on a costume, potentially put on a helmet or a mask. And, you know, you're no longer Dr. So-and-so. You're Darth Vader or you're anybody, really. I mean, anybody could be in that suit. And I think that's also really kind of fascinating experience for people who maybe want a day or an afternoon where they're they're not Dr. So and so. They're they're Darth Vader. They don't want to talk to you about psychology. They want to talk to you about the Death Star. <laughs> and, you know, I think that there's you know nothing inherently wrong with that or nothing nothing questionable about that. I think that's completely healthy. And and not only being the character, I think something that, that you alluded to, you you said you've been a female Darth Vader and um, more recently, I saw a picture of you as a, a steampunk huntress. I mean, that's a character. Those are characters that don't actually exist in the mediums that we know them for, right? They're variations on the character. So it's an opportunity for you to create, not only represent a character, but create a version of the character that that maybe pertains more to you or that, or that you identify with more. That's a really great point, too. I hadn't thought about that some of my costumes are are different variants, maybe ones that actually don't exist. There, there's no prototype for them yet. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I had the female Darth Vader is a recurring costume. I've tried to improve it each year, and the steampunk Huntress uh, is a recent costume that I debuted at San Diego Comic Con uh, last month. And you're right, there these versions don't exist. I sort of took my own creative ideas and put in, you know, created what I thought would be a good representation of that. Frankly, maybe I don't want to play a male Darth Vader. Maybe it was more comfortable for me to be a female version. In terms of the steampunk version of Huntress or a steampunk version of any character, I mean, that's that's quite a challenge. It's taking an existing character and elaborating on it to fit a particular theme or style. And, um, you know, that takes a lot of the, that person's own creativity and design. Yeah, we think of steampunk as an alternative uh, reality. So you created, I, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering if this is, this is your, your train of thought. So what would this character be like if it existed in this place or in a place where this is, this is how things were? Yes, that's exactly true. And I, I try to stay in the mindset of, of this character being functional in a superhero world. So if this world were a steampunk world and all these characters, you know, as a side note, I was part of a, you know, 14 person group who all, you know, everybody was in steampunk style costumes. My intention was to create a costume that would be functional. So for me, you know, would this character be able to patrol the streets in a bustle? Probably not. Maybe I need some kind of coat. Um, would this, would this particular character be able to, you know, carry this kind of weapon? Um, ostensibly it would need to be the steampunk version of that weapon. Would she be able to carry it? Would she be able to see through a mask with, uh, you know, initially I had sort of like goggles on my mask and I frankly, you know, in, uh, in the design, it looked really good. But then when, when, uh, 
my boyfriend and I created it, we realized I couldn't see a thing. It was <laughs> like putting on like the darkest, darkest pair of sunglasses and then covering that up with foil on like all sides. I could not see. And I thought, oh my gosh, I have to walk around in this. And, you know, again, it, it obviously there's a level of comfort that you give up, that you don't get to be comfortable in cosplay. One of my biggest sort of rules is it's going to be uncomfortable, but you should be safe and you should be able to see. And, um, and I thought to myself, you know, if this character were real, this wouldn't make sense. Like she would. Be able to. <laughs> um, so that, you know, some of these ideas go into it, but also the presentation of the costume, what does it look like? How does it photograph? Um, how does it, how does it look in the sun? How does it look on the convention floor? These conventions are very, very brightly lit under either very, very, uh, intense fluorescent lights or by the natural sunlight in San Diego, for instance. So, you know, how does this costume look in daytime in these really brightly lit areas? It may not look great. You know, you may have to take some, some decision making, you know, you may have to change things based on that. So... That reminds me of uh, seeing interviews with actors and actresses who come out in superhero movies. None of them, I've never heard a single um, actor say that their their movie superhero costume was comfortable. Oh, they all, in fact, say that, uh, you know, what did Anne Hathaway say about her uh, Catwoman suit? I think she said it was uh, like a terrorist around her body. <laughs> it was that comfortable. It was, it was torturing her. It was so painful. Um, so, you know, obviously for films, the the costumes are, you know, have to look a certain way and they're so elaborate that I truly believe that. I, I think there's no reason to expect why cosplay should be completely comfortable. I think that you make certain decisions on, on how it should look. And unfortunately, when we look at characters in comic books, when we look at anime, when we look at superhero movies, you know, these costumes don't always work in real life. They appear a certain way in print or in an animated version or, you know, a cartoon version or in a drawing. And when you try to recreate that in real life, there are so many sort of realizations about those costumes and um, maybe, you know, would they even hold up? Do they even stay, stay put? Do they even make sense? Uh, can I even move in it? You know, these kinds of things. Because, frankly, they weren't intended to be real-life costumes. They were intended to be part of a, a you know, part of an imaginary, a fictional character. I'm, I'm going to confess that uh, although I'm a, a huge comic book fan, I've never liked the underwear outside of the pants look. And with the recent um, refresh of the DC Comics, um, I think none of the characters have, you know... Um, shorts or underwear outside of their pants anymore. And I think it, it helps it to look more realistic. And, and I'm so glad that they did that across the board. Some people think it's not iconic anymore, but it's one of those things that, that I, I like, I'm a fan of. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't necessarily bothered by that, but I can see why it didn't make sense or why, you know, people weren't huge fans of this sort of underwear over the spandex or even sort of the tight spandex look, why yeah. that was necessary. But um, you're right, it does, you know, that's an important aspect of that particular image or style. And for some people, if they cosplay that character, you know, they're going to choose that iconic 
style versus, you know, one of these newer, newer styles. I guess um, it, it sounds like you had so much fun creating your costume and and even the Darth Vader when you said every year, you know, you, you just want to make it a little better. And the whole thought process of well, what would this look like, um, you know, and having a theme with your friends, it just sounds like a, like a whole lot of fun. And before you mentioned play. So, you know, is this is this really um, an adult form of, of play? Um, I think so. I mean, I would probably I mean, the word cosplay comes from those two words, costume play. And so in that sense, I do think it's play. I think that it's performance that, you know, the act of putting on a costume of a fictional character and representing that character in a public setting, in a very crowded public setting. I mean, that's a performance. And so interacting with other characters, posing with them, uh, pointing your weapon at them, um, hugging them or, you know, pretending like you're going to punch them in a, in a staged kind of um, shot, you know, that, that certainly can be seen as play. And I, I, I align it more with kind of theater and performance and, again, sort of artistry because we're also demonstrating the craftsmanship of these costumes. Yeah. So I think play is an accurate word. I think that it can also be another misconception that, well, what else are these people doing in their costumes? I mean, really, they're posing and taking pictures. And that's really the, the highlight of cosplay. That's the experience of of uh, cosplaying that people, you know, usually are getting the most enjoyment out of. So what was the first, uh, I mean, if you don't mind uh, answering this, what, what was the first costume you, you ever made? The first one was uh, sort of um, a very poorly designed Jedi costume that I made uh, when, the, when the original films were re-released in the mid-90s. And I took, uh, I actually took an original, an older cousin of mine had a, had a Jedi cloak that my aunt had made him when he was young, like, you know, when the original films came out and it was handed down to me. So I had this like really fantastically uh, designed, constructed Jedi cloak. And so I had one good piece, one good article I, I knew would uh, would be identified as a Jedi. And then I would just kind of piece together the rest of the outfit. So, you know, uh, maybe a, a brown vest and brown pants or kind of like a, a beige um, dress and kind of wrap the cloak around me. Of course, you know, a lightsaber that I bought from Target or <laughs> Um, boots. And so back then, I have to be honest, I wasn't cosplaying a particular Jedi. I, I was sort of creating this female Jedi character. I would braid my hair and sort of, you know, well, what would I do? I mean, I would go to the the premieres of these, uh, you know, the Star Wars films when they were re-released. And how many times did that happen? This was before I knew about comic conventions. So I was only, I mean, one could say that I was really only allowed to cosplay or found opportunities to cosplay like once every so often which you know isn't as frequently you know isn't as frequent as as maybe I would have wanted to you know my first job out of college I worked with an engineer and 
I remember, I think it may have been the prequels, one of the prequels that came out. And for the premiere, he came back the next day and he told us he went to a midnight showing and he dressed up as a Jedi and he brought his lightsaber. It was one of my first experiences meeting someone who had dressed up, an adult who had dressed up to go to, to a premiere. What, what is it about a Star Wars and certain movies like that that, that excite us to, to do that? I, I mean, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and I, I strongly believe that Star Wars fans, I don't know, there's something about Star Wars where any opportunity we can put on a Star Wars costume, we will. Like nowadays, if there's like a, a new fruit roll-up that like Yoda's on the cover of that, I will cosplay to the diet. I'll be like, this is another opportunity for me to carry a lightsaber. Um, I, you know, I think that, again, Star Wars has been around for, you know, over 30 years. It, it, it is, uh, I think, part of the, part of the experience of cosplaying any Star Wars character is the nostalgia, you know, the, that feeling of, you know, that's, you know, you asked me what was the first character I, I cosplayed, and it's a Jedi, you know, so anytime I wear a Jedi costume, I sort of feel that that's, that's the most compelling, the most, you know, that's a deeply felt costume, um, whether I'm wearing the original one or, or some other version of it. I've been wearing that costume for, for a long time. Um, there's the fantasy aspect that those characters, you know, obviously they're fictional characters, but they have, they have these amazing, um, I guess, powers and abilities uh, that really fascinate us. And I mean, and then there's the aspect of carrying a lightsaber, uh, just like people who enjoy anime that, that involve carrying swords or giant mallets for that matter, that there's something about carrying, you know, a lightsaber. I mean, gosh, and if it lights up, you know, it's, it's extremely compelling and, and powerful and, and fun to carry a lightsaber. I don't think you can hand a lightsaber to anybody and have them be bored with that. I think that most people, I hope, I hope I'm not wrong to say that, you know, it's a uni universal experience to hold a lightsaber and be. And make the sound effect. Yes, and make the sound I won't do it now because I'm really bad at that, but. I mean, I, I hadn't thought about this before, but Star Wars really does have a huge effect on on us and, and and wanting to immerse ourselves in that world. I was just thinking about the 501st Legion. Mm -hmm. um, that's actually, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's a, a an international group of people where you apply and you actually dress up as characters from the movie, specifically stormtroopers. Yes. Yeah. It's a club. I mean, it's not only a club, it's an organization. It's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I probably, probably won't do the group justice in my description of it, but they have the highest criteria, the most honorable criteria for, you know, being in in this organization and to have your costume be approved by them um, is the highest honor. Uh, it means that you've created a costume that is true to the film version of that particular character. And, um, and they're internationally known for their, not just their, you know, really good craftsmanship, but their, their, um, charity work, their, uh, you know, contributions to helping other people. And I think that's really um, another part of, of cosplay that, you know, if it's organized, if it's 
goal-oriented. I mean, if, if it is all surrounding this idea of giving back, you know, you can't go wrong. What, what bad thing can you say about them? One of the goals we had with talking about cosplay today was really to to address how how great it is, I think, right? To celebrate it really, to talk about um the, the different aspects of it and, and and how great it can be. And I know that um we mentioned before that you're interested in presenting on this topic um at conventions. Um what kind of things are you are you interested in, in discussing at cons about cosplay? That's a that's a great a great question. Um I think that, you know, more recently, especially in the media, especially with a lot of those, the more recent news stories um, following uh, the release of The Dark Knight Rises, uh, there has been a lot of sort of this, what I would call negative associations with wearing costumes, um, some either types of stories that are blaming uh, or accusatory or even just sort of humiliating surrounding people who wear costumes. Uh, and aside from, I guess, that, you know, additional, I think, dangers of too much coverage, too, too many associations between wearing costumes and, and violence and threat and mental illness. So something that I would like to promote and to bring awareness of is some of the more positive aspects of cosplay, some of the psychologically healthy aspects of cosplay. Um, for instance, some of the things that you and I have been talking about today in regards to how it can be community building, how it can be extremely fulfilling in terms of just sort of, you know, showing off your craftsmanship and being really proud of, of the work that you did and being able to showcase that. Um, and also, you know, additional components, you know, psychologically of being able to express yourself in a way that maybe you can't express yourself in your everyday life. I mean, you and you and I are, are professionals. We have to sort of abide by our, our, uh, field. And of course, we are responsible professionally. And I think that it's not strange or unhealthy to want to express ourselves where it's appropriate to do that in a way that involves costume. So those opportunities like conventions or, or expos or, um, you know, uh, parties or wherever you might find groups of people wearing costumes, we may have the ability to express, gosh, a whole series of, of emotions or of expressions from, you know, again, just being a strong hero, being resilient, being proud, being brave, you know, heroes, heroes are, are meant to have all these things. So we get to, we get to not only pretend that we have that, but just for a moment, experience those things. And even if we're cosplaying villains, we have, you know, this healthy opportunity to experience terror and anger and fear and those things that again are all agreed upon expressions that we can have in these in these uh settings. Yeah, these are the settings where, you know, it it's safe to to it's safe to be a fan, 
where maybe it's not safe to be a fan in, in other places and some place we can feel comfortable. Right. Right. It's, it's uh, a safe and healthy way to express yourself, um, whether it's, you know, through that costume or if it's also involving some kind of emotional representation of that character, something that that character embodies that you really relate to. So you mentioned that um, lately in the media there have been some sort of negative connotations and some misconceptions. What do you think are some of the most dangerous that are out there? I think more recently the just sort of the what I would call a lazy association between a violent act, a crime, and a costume. I mean, it's simply that. It's, you know, this crime happened, this person did this awful thing, and, and you know, the headline is that he had a Batman mask, or he dressed himself as the Joker, or even, you know, as we found, as we've learned more and more about, um, you know, the, the, sh the shooter at the uh, Dark Knight Rises premiere, that he wasn't, you know, there are all these claims that he was dressed or tried to emulate a certain character. And that piece of the story gets, I guess, blown out of proportion and the rest of the pieces aren't, aren't quite digested. And um, I guess... Yeah, to, to put it into context, um, we're only a few weeks after the, the, the tragic events at Aurora, Colorado. And I know that my father called me and said, oh yeah, um, did you know the guy was dressed up as the bad guy in the movie? Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, news is still coming in, but I mean, it's recent enough that um, w we know that, that he was dressed up essentially in, in military, um, in a military outfit. He wasn't resembling any sort of um, character. He was dressed up to protect himself um, from anything that would happen. Um, the, the police have, have said that he was practically, you know, he had, uh, he was, he essentially wearing armor, you know, to protect himself. And yeah, but the news started saying, oh, he was dressed up as the character and the movie theater actually, and I understand why they did this. I understand um, why they put a no costume policy mm -hmm. at, at AMC theaters. Mm -hmm. But again, it, yeah, it was completely misunderstood. Um, people reporting, they were reporting that he was dressed up as one character. He was saying that he was another. Mm -hmm. and, and the truth is he was just trying to, he was just protected. He was just essentially wearing armor. Right. Right. I, and I, exactly what you're saying is sort of what people pick up on or that's the soundbite or that's the headline that they carry in their pockets as sort of, you know, what happened, what, what this violent person did and who he tried to be. And I think the danger with that is people begin to associate not just, you know, comic books and, and being a fan of things like Batman and being a fan of, of these films these video games or these comic books, but the wearing of costumes as some kind of marker of threat, some kind of marker of mental illness. And I've, you know, I've recently posted, I have a, a blog, it's called underthemaskonline.com. And recently I posted just sort of a brief uh, description of what, you know, I would consider you know, celebrating cosplay, bringing a positive light to cosplay. And one of my worries is that because of stories like that, there 
are, I guess, assumptions that people who wear costumes, people who put on masks, people who try to emulate comic book characters, that there's something about them we should worry about, that we should be threatened by them, or we should believe that they have mental illness. And, you know, I, I wanted to put on the record, wearing a costume is not a marker of any kind of psychological symptom. There's there's no sign of pathology. There's nothing diagnostic, symptomatic, pathological about wearing costumes. Now, certainly the behavior that you engage in when you're in that costume changes, you know, all those things. But the simple act of wearing costumes and engaging in that, you know, costume play or cosplay, there's nothing about that that is strange or, you know, wrong or symptomatic. And also the people make the jump that if you're dressed like a good guy, then, or if you're dressed like a bad guy, then, then you, you're, you may be a bad person or, or you're thinking of doing bad things. And, and that's really not true. Just as if someone's dressed as Superman or Batman doesn't mean that they're necessarily a good person. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it could be that they strive to be a good person, but they're actually not. Um, but again, you know, there's, there's no way to kind of find a commonality or, you know, a, a common thread or some kind of psychological aspect that's common among all cosplayers. They're, they're just as such this variation. There's su- it's such a diverse group that the only thing we can say is that, well, there are people who wear costumes. That's really all we can say at this point about uh, this group of cosplayers worldwide even. Um, they clearly have a fandom. They they clearly have the shared, you know, aspect of wearing costumes. But there's really nothing psychologically shared about these people as far as being able to say they're more likely to do X or engage in Y or commit a crime or have mental illness. Yeah, it's very, it's very important to make that distinction, especially it's important for us to be able to say that because we, we can say that on behalf of, of people who do like to dress up and people who do like to cosplay and people who like to have fun at conventions and express their fandom. So I'm hoping that you you get as many opportunities as possible to, to share that message. Yeah, I think that all of us as clinicians have to weigh in on this and, and remind the public that, you know, the people that, that do commit these crimes or the people that do uh, things, you know, based on their their pathology, you know, th- those behaviors are what we have to look at. We really can't be focused on, on these, you know, superficial things. So, and again, the, the, the unfortunate, uh, the unfortunate thing, I guess, the consequence of these types of stories is this negative association or this assumption about people that wear costumes. You know, what what about the folks that like to go to theaters, like to watch movies, and, and they happen to wear costumes from these films? Um, how are people, how are non-cosplayers, non, I guess, people that wear costumes, how do they, how are they going to react to that now that the media has informed them that that could be a sign 
of violence or of mental illness. I think that we have to be more responsible and make it very clear that that single aspect is not a marker of a criminal or somebody with some kind of pathology. I just had the picture in my head of a sports fan and how sports fans, um, you know, you, you wear your t-shirt, you wear your hat, you paint your face, you go to the game and you take your shirt off and you spell with your friends the name of the team, things like that. There's different layers of, of fandom and expressing your, your love of characters. And I think I, we can draw a parallel with, with what happens in those circles and what happens in, um, you know, in geek culture and see that no one's ever saying that there's something wrong with sports fans who paint their faces or, or uh, put, you know, put giant pieces of cheese on their head, uh, cheese hats. So, um, yeah, so I think, I think uh, again, it's really good that we, that we can have this conversation and, and speak up for, for people. I, I, I don't know how often this conversation has ever come up, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, in a way, part of me feels like it's good that people are starting to realize that cosplay is more common and more, you know, widespread, more celebrated than they thought. Um, but yeah, I'm also, I'm extremely concerned about some of the misconceptions and the assumptions about it. And I mean, you're right. If I post a picture on Facebook of me wearing a cheese hat and I've got like a painted face and I'm, I don't even know what team that would be. That would be like the Wisconsin cheesehead football team. Like, <laughs> I, I have no idea. But let's say I was a sports fan and I posted a photo of me in that, you know, some jersey with my painted face and I'm eating nachos and I'm, I've got a cheese head. I think if, a, you know, if a colleague were to see that, if another professional in my field were to see that, maybe it would be humorous. Maybe it would be acceptable. Maybe it would be like, oh, they like the cheese head team from Wisconsin too. Um, and I'm a little less confident that, you know, if, if that were a cosplay picture, that another professional would find it, you know, okay or humorous and maybe they would relate to it. I'm, I guess, a little more guarded around that. Maybe I would think that they would carry those assumptions because of, again, of what the media tells us, of what just negative stereotypes, maybe what the internet might portray. And there are some kind of, you know, misconceptions out there. And uh, I think that's a decision that, you know, we as clinicians have to make. Maybe some people are not as comfortable with that. If, you know, I showed up at the office and said, you know, I play the violin and every weekend I'm part of this fantastic, you know, orchestra or this company and we play Mozart every weekend. Uh, I don't think anyone would raise an eyebrow, but, uh, yeah, I, I invest in body makeup and I'm constructing a mask and I'm putting together a steampunk huntress costume, I think is not as, um, I mean, not as readily acceptable. I don't, I don't know. That's, a, that's an excellent point. And it's something that has come up in my podcast uh, a few times already. And it's the idea that as professionals, um, that image that we're supposed to keep or that we're expected to keep I know about enough clinicians now who use video games and therapy, who use themes and comic books, who actually use comic books, who can sit down. Now you and I can sit down and talk about cosplay and the healthy benefits of cosplaying. You know, if a client comes to us and says, you know, I'm kind of thinking about cosplaying, we wouldn't raise our eyebrows at them. We would encourage it and, and tell them, 
you know, and, and if they asked us, we would be able to tell them all of the great things that could come from that. And I'm glad that we can have this conversation and that you mentioned that at the end, because I hope that other clinicians who who are listening or who are interested in either cosplay or anything else that's geeky or anything else sports related or anything else that they're interested in, that they're encouraged to bring that into the profession also, because we can do things with that that um, other people can't do if we don't speak up for for our own interest and kind of attack those misconceptions and those stereotypes. No one else will. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I, I agree with that a hundred percent. I would say that it it wasn't until I did share that with other colleagues and professionals, and and their reactions were extremely positive and accepting, and even kind of that "tell me more, I'm curious, I want to know" kind of reaction that. Um, has led me to be much more honest and transparent about it. And, you know, here we are. I have no problem talking about it with you. Uh, and I think it's really good modeling for some of our patients who uh, maybe wrestle with some of the same identity issues about, you know, how to present themselves and what's okay and what's not okay. And, and their, you know, their true, I guess, their true selves and, and their wishes to, to really um, to live them. Sandra, so is there anything else you wanted to um, mention about cosplay or cons or anything? No, I mean, I, I think this is a, a great way to solidify, you know, what we've talked about, that while there have been some recent negative portrayals of cosplay, and, you know, as a side note, wearing costumes has been around for centuries. This isn't anything new. Mm-hmm. The fandom, you know, some of these some of these genres, anime, comic books, video games, you know, these are more recent. So this type of cosplay is only a few decades old. And I think that the the goal for us is to continue to celebrate it, to portray these positive aspects, to continue to share these, um, these healthy uh, elements of it and to share our stories with each other. So that um, so that people can feel uh, feel that level of acceptance and and join in on that conversation. Now I've got to say I was really excited to talk about this topic, and I I didn't expect to to have so many more ideas in my head about where this conversation could go. Mm-hmm. So I think I don't know how often this has ever happened before, right? But um, this conversation on cosplay gave me a lot to think about, and I think I think it's a topic that we could definitely. Um, that clinicians and, and, and psychology in general could visit a lot in the future. Yeah, I agree. I, again, I think that it's a missed opportunity or it's oftentimes overlooked. And, and it's a shame. You know, we really should be uh, celebrating it more and talking more about it because, you know, believe it or not, maybe more people are, are involved and we just don't know about it. Yeah. yeah. And again, it's, it can be, you know, a very enjoyable experience it can be a lot of fun it can certainly be an outlet can certainly be a great hobby and so just like all the things you're talking about like being a sports fan um, being a musician all these other things that we love to do this is just one other way to uh, to have something that you very much enjoy for the record I know we were talking about the Green Bay Packers but I like the way you said the Wisconsin cheeseheads so I just let it fly Good, good. Okay. I, but I go with the Wisconsin cheese heads. It's my choice. 
So Andrea, um, when are you going to be at um, another con or when are you having another presentation? I am planning on speaking at New York Comic Con. Um, I do have a submission for a panel there actually about this particular topic, um, not just the psychology of cosplay, but having um, very well-known and accomplished cosplayers discuss their craftsmanship, discuss the experience of wearing costumes. And um, these are all folks, you know, these are all adults. These are all folks with uh, who are professionals, who uh, who are quite good at what they do. And so I think it would be a really interesting discussion. Um, but I haven't quite um, solidified this particular talk yet. Hopefully in the near future I will know. And um, at this point, that is the plan. So if people want to know where you're going to be or if they want to contact you about anything we've talked about here, how can they reach you? They, well, the the best way to chat with me or to talk with me is to find me on Twitter. I am Arkham Asylum Doc on Twitter. So that's spelled like like Arkham City, Arkham Asylum. Uh, and you can find my blog at underthemaskonline.com. And my email is just like my Twitter handle, ArkhamAsylumDoc at Gmail, if there are any additional questions um, about this or related topics. Okay, and I'll include all of that in the um, episode description on the website. So if you want to find out more about Geek Therapy, um, see our curated news site, or listen to other episodes of the podcast, go to geektherapy.com. And you can follow us at Geek Therapy on Twitter. Andrea, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. It was great. 